Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I also want to uh, make a big announcement today. Uh, As you know, uh, our dear sister Brenda, who passed recently, she had been out of the office uh, for some time before that, and really off and on a lot over the last couple of years especially. And uh, I want to say a big thank you to some people, uh, actually to whom thanks are long overdue. And uh, I don't know, is Ken Beatty here today even? Is he gone? Uh, Doug Tedrow, uh, raise your hand. Steve Welter, uh, these guys have real, wave your hand. Everybody, yeah, these guys and Ken especially. And I know many of you have contributed, but these guys especially have gone above and beyond in terms of picking up the slack and taking up uh, some of that burden of the office work, uh, and they're doing it volunteer. They don't know that yet, but they did it. No, they, they've done But they've done this. For, this isn't just for the past few weeks. They've been doing this for a long time, so thank you guys. You've made my job easier. Sandy Mack is the other one. Uh, one of the other main ones who has really kept the uh, kept this thing going, Mike too, of course, but we pay him. Uh, I'm, uh, and and surprise so far, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm happy to announce that uh, officially, starting this week, Cheryl Berkey is your new church secretary. Uh, there's Cheryl back there. Uh, I don't want. I, 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 it would probably be safer to say nothing, but you know, I don't like playing it safe, right? Uh, like, what? But she's your sister. You hired a family member. That's nepotism. Believe me, this, is the, this was the right thing to do. Number one, she's been doing so much behind the scenes, uh, just keeping me on track, sending me daily reminders, remember to do this, announce this, remember this is coming up. I could not do it without her. It, it, she is perhaps the most gifted in this area uh, and and that's, I know other people had this gift in terms of uh, uh, administration. I don't know anybody more gifted than my sister at this. Uh, plus, she's my sister. There's always the issue, uh, something that, that, that churches can't be too careful about. Uh, there are times when, uh, what if I'm the only one in the building besides the secretary? Hey, it's my sister, okay? We don't have to worry about any sort of, hey, I just saw those two were alone in the building. Uh, it's just, it's, it's seriously, I mean, things, uh, stupid things. Uh, get, get misinterpreted and stuff all the time. So this is a, and, and I've known her for a long time. <laughs> we were womb mates, right, Cheryl? <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, she'll be here Monday through Friday, most weeks, uh, nine to one. That's the schedule we're starting out. It's a part-time position. Uh, but uh, thanks, Cheryl, for agreeing to do that and uh, look forward to it. So when you call the church for anything, call between nine and one because the main thing we hired her for, so I don't have to answer the phone. No, that's it. That's, I'm kidding. She's got a very full plate, but she's already, she's already, she was in here for free for a few days this week, tackling it and getting herself settled in. Um, so, yeah, very happy to have her on board. We have been uh, looking uh, for a few weeks now at the armor of God. And uh, first, this was a few weeks ago, we looked at the belt of truth and talked about how all the weapons hang on the belt that without this being the truth, without the core, the truth, the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of these other weapons uh, make sense. Then we talked last week about the breastplate of righteousness, about how that protects our heart 
And if the enemy is about killing us, which he is, he comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. We need to protect our heart. And uh, the breastplate of righteousness protects our heart because it reminds us that the righteousness is something that has been that we've been clothed with. It doesn't come from our own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself that protects us. And so it protects us from the accusations that the enemy will certainly throw at us. And uh, today, uh, because I'm determined to take these in the order they appear in Scripture, but I have to be honest with you, I was tempted to rearrange things in this list to make today's piece of armor last. I wanted to wrap up with these shoes, but I'm taking them in order. But let's go ahead and read the pertinent passage again in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. We read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So today, shoes. And when you think about armament, when I think about armament, footwear is probably not the most exciting piece of armor or weaponry that I can imagine. You know, I want to talk about yeah, shields, swords, guns, things like that. And I, I don't guess guns are in that list. But shoes. What is it? Let's, let's, let's take a step back and remember that what, we, what this passage is about, besides the individual pieces of armor, is about what? Spiritual warfare, right? Now, in a war, and now I'm thinking of a secular war, a physical war, what ultimately is the aim of war should be peace we should not be fighting just to fight we want to win we want to reach the end of this war so we can stop fighting we want to do things that we can if we're sane anyway to prevent war i remember there was uh, back during the uh, 80s when we were still in the cold war there was a, a very hot spot obviously over there in uh, Germany and uh, everybody expected that one of the possible flashpoints if we ever took on the Ruskies uh, would be uh, with uh, Soviet tanks rushing across the Fulda Gap and, and, and whatever uh, unit was stationed there uh, the general really felt it necessarily to, necessary to keep his troops I mean almost hungry for battle and so the salute, you know, the normal salute as, as, as a soldier, and there'll be a several military analogies today, can't get around it. Uh, normally, the standard salute when you salute an officer is, good morning, sir, good afternoon, sir, good evening, sir. And they respond with good evening, whatever. But every unit can institute its own uh, greeting, its own, uh, its own uh, whatever it is you say when you salute. And 
uh, this guy's was. What he instructed his soldiers to say when they saluted was, pray for war, sir. <laughs> pray for war, sir. Pray for war. Well, that sounds a little bit sick, but again, he, it was his way of reminding him, stay ready. This is what we are here for. Don't be afraid of it. In fact, you should, you should uh, uh, crave it. But really, uh, every sane and reasonable military person, the last thing they really should want is to fight, is to have to employ the skills that they've been trained to employ. Uh, so that I want to look at three paths to peace in war. When you are in war, there are three ways that you can come to peace. One is to capitulate. Quit before the battle starts. If we see it coming, or if it has just started, we can give up, capitulate, lay down our arms. And in this case, in, this, in the sense of spiritual warfare, I think probably the most uh, uh, egregious expression of capitulation would be to abandon the faith. Christianity just looks too hard. I can't do it anymore. It, it's going to cost me too much, so I don't want it. Maybe somebody brings you right up to the point of uh, accepting Christ. You've heard the gospel. And rather than embrace it, you reject it. Because when you counted the cost, you came up with the wrong answer. Decided it's too expensive. Or maybe you've made that decision, and now you realize uh, the persecution is something you can't take, the limitations on what you uh, can do for fun, whatever. Or you just fear the enemy too much. And so you quit, you drop out. Uh, maybe you can capitulate without abandoning the faith, but it certainly takes you completely out of the fight. You're one of those people that I would call barely saved. And I believe there is such a thing. You know, people say, well, you, you're not going to go to hell, but you're going to go to heaven smelling like smoke, things like that. Uh, escaped with the skin of my teeth, as, as Job said. But this is not what we ought to be aiming for. Just saved. But, puts you in a position of at least the appearance of peace. I'm out of the battle. So we can capitulate. Another path to peace is to um, compromise. I'll live my life, and I'm going to do my best to be a Christian. I'll read the Bible, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to, careful to notice the air quotes, force my belief on anybody else. And this is the one that probably bothers me in terms of encountering it most often. Bothers me the most, especially in this tolerant society. Uh, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I, I may have mentioned this guy in a, I, I think I did, I may have mentioned him during the truth uh, sermon, but, it, but uh, a guy who had a very, a uh, very famous guy, very famous singer who had a very powerful conversion experience and began to sing gospel music and then years later he was being interviewed and he said, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a religious person, I'm not a spiritual person. Uh, Jesus was very important to me, but I never wanted to claim that he was the only way. Many other people have found other paths to God, other paths to peace. This was an important thing for me, but it was for me personally. That's not what Christians are called to believe. It's not what Christians are called uh, to live. It's not what Christians are called to do. 
we're called to proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And it is an offensive message. But compromise says, I'm not abandoning my belief in Jesus. I'm just not going to force it. Well, nobody's asking you to force it. You're just supposed to preach it. You're supposed to tell people. You're supposed to testify and share the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, which is the gospel of peace. So compromise takes many different forms. Uh, but in terms of spiritual warfare, the form it takes is we don't share. We don't preach. We don't proclaim what we know to be the truth as the truth. We just claim it as our truth. There's other, obviously, we know there are other expressions of compromise, but in the spiritual war for the souls of men and women, this is what compromise looks like. But guess what? It leads to a more peaceful existence. And all these, you know, whether you capitulate or compromise, uh, the peace you experience is an illusion, I believe. The best path to peace is to conquer. I don't do these. Uh, see, did you notice that? Capitulate, compromise, conquer. I don't do that very often, but uh, uh, it worked today, I think. The, if, you, uh, if your goal in war, if you're in war, the best way, the best ending, the best outcome for war is to conquer. The war is over and we have peace. Why? Because we won. Right? I will preach the gospel. I'll see people come to Christ. Remember, it's important. Conquer, in this case, we're talking about spiritual war warfare. We're not talking about winning the culture wars or political battles or anything else that boils down to flesh and blood. Not that those, not that those battles aren't worth fighting. Not that the culture wars are something we should ignore. I'm talking about it in pure terms of spiritual warfare. We cannot forget that what we are battling for are the eternal souls of men and women and boys and girls. Paul makes it clear here that the mission we are on as soldiers of the cross is to bring the good news to those who need it. And our enemy is all about keeping that from happening. Meaning, we don't go to war with sinners. We go to war for sinners. You should say amen at that. Isaiah chapter 52, and I think this is one I didn't give you, Will, but you all know this, verse 7. How beautiful on, upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Who proclaims peace. Who brings glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. If you are in a war, the best thing you can receive is a message saying, the war is over, we have won. This is the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. Now when I say peace, remember, it's as it's to differentiate it from war. We're not talking about tranquility or serenity. We're talking about an absence or an end to hostilities. How much of the world's woes right now, today, are caused by war or the threat of war? There are places in this world 
frankly, even in this country, that are dangerous to visit because of war. Trillions of dollars that have to be spent on weapons, military personnel, etc. The enormous resources that have to be allocated simply to prepare for wars that we hope never to fight. And this is one great promise concerning the return of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2, we can read this. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Can you imagine a world that did not know how to make war? Where war was never even an option. Where there were no weapons. We can't. We start talking about no weapons, we think, well, if I don't have a weapon, only the bad guys will have weapons. I'm talking about no weapons, period. No war. No battles. But again, this is not the particular peace that we are aiming for. That is a picture of of spiritual warfare, uh, again, the war for the souls of men and women, a battle for sinners, not against them. Remember, we're battling an enemy who keeps us from battling and fighting for sinners. But when you think about going into war, imagine going into war barefoot. Never mind war, imagine taking out the trash barefoot. You know, it's one thing to walk across a gravel driveway. It's another thing to walk across concrete and step on one piece of gravel. Anybody ever step on a Lego in the middle of the night? Anybody ever step on a bee, a nail, a piece of glass? Do you know how careful you have to be if you're going barefoot outdoors? Now imagine doing it in the rocks and the woods. I'm not talking about you're taking a hike and you decide to kick your shoes off and wade in the stream. I'm talking about having no shoes. It's not a good idea. And here's the big question. Do you know how careful you have to be? It's, it's, it's when you're out in the woods and you're in unfamiliar territory, and imagine going into war, and you're barefoot, think about how much concentration you have to waste on where you're stepping. What do shoes do? What do boots do? They allow you to just get where you're going without thinking about what you're stepping on. You're not looking for nails or shards of glass or serpents or scorpions, but you're treading on them anyway because you're protected. Another army illustration. When I was in the guard, I was proud to be a uh, branched infantry. The queen of battle, infantry was called. And infantry people will tell you there are really only two branches in the army, infantry and infantry support. But we all knew better, and to be honest, what we really admired was the power and the mobility of tanks. They could get there a lot faster, a lot safer, and inflict a lot more damage. Uh, and actually, uh, and this is at least as far as ground forces are concerned, 
Uh, most infantry units these days are, in fact, mechanized infantry units. They have Bradley fighting vehicles that the soldiers ride in, and they, they disembark at a certain point, but the vehicles themselves are, are armed. They're not tanks, but they are like tanks without the big guns. Uh, and back in my day, they had the old M113s, which we called APCs, Armored Personnel Carriers. And uh, again, you can put a squad or so in one of these APCs, get to the objective a lot faster, but we were in a light inf infantry unit. Uh, most, uh, the, our battalion was a light infantry battalion. And uh, if you ask the question, how are we getting to the objective, maybe hoping to hear, well, we've got a couple trucks, we're going to get everybody up on. Often the answer was, we are getting there via LPC. Anybody know what LPC stands for? Anybody remember that acronym? Or that, uh, that what was it? Actually, our, our version of it was leather personnel carrier, meaning shoes. We're getting there via LPC, leather personnel carrier. We are going to walk and we are going to carry everything with us. But our boots were our means of getting to the objective. This is the main idea behind be our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our mission is to carry the good news to the... To, what is the good news? The end of the hostilities between man and God. This is, the, this is the, bad, the, the good news. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. The good news that we bring is, number one, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, Voltaire? Might have been Voltaire who, when he was dying, uh, a friend who was a Christian came to visit him and said, have you made your peace with God? And he said, I wasn't aware we were quarreling which is a very clever statement, except this is the state a lot of the world's in. I'm not fighting it with God. I'm not mad at God. I'm not an enemy of God, but you are. A, a, state exists, a state of war exists between sinful man and a holy God. And it's God who has initiated the peace process, who has actually done everything necessary to end the hostilities, and this is the good news we bring, the good news of the cross. You can be at peace with God rather than in enmity with God. This is kind of why I wanted to put this piece of armor last, because this is the piece of armor that speaks about what all of this other armor is for, to protect us and equip us as we get where we're going. The shoes are about the going. But please notice this. It doesn't just say having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. It's having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 1 Peter 3.15, very familiar verse in this church anyway, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. Actually, some translations uh, when, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says readiness instead of preparation. Now, this uh, 1 Peter 3.15, of course, is a favorite verse of the apologists, the, the defenders of the faith, but we are actually all called to obey this verse. It doesn't say those of you who are professional apologists or debaters uh, be ready to give an answer uh, or give a defense. This is all of us. That word defense there is the Greek word apologia, where we get the word apologist. Uh, it can also be translated simply as an answer. If somebody asks, you should have an answer 
for, uh, to explain the hope that is within you. And as much as I love this verse, I think really it's kind of the lowest bar uh, in terms of fulfilling the Great Commission. Kind of, at, at the very least, we can surely answer those who ask us about our faith. You know, we're, we're, the command is to go out and preach the gospel. But at the very least, if somebody asks you, you should have an answer. But again, be ready. You should be ready, prepared to give that answer. Prepared. How do we get ready? How do we prepare? I'm going to wrap this series up with a message on how to actually don this armor, how to put this armor on. But for the shoes, I want to spell it out right now. You have to study the Word of God, and you have to spend time with God. Know the Bible. Know the author of the Bible. You might not have an immediate answer for every single question somebody asks you about Christianity. You might not be able to even explain every facet of salvation itself. But there's not an excuse. There is never an excuse for not growing, for not knowing more, for getting better at this. We are constantly in training. We are constantly preparing. Pray for war. And don't forget what I said last week. All of that knowledge loses its potency if you really don't know Him. In fact, in terms of evangelizing, especially one-on-one, sometimes just knowing Him is enough. Remember the story I told last week about Dana Key talking to a concert goer and every argument he threw at, this, threw it at Dana, Dana would just say, yeah, I can't answer that question. All I can tell you is I've met Him and He's real. There are people, many of you know these stories, I've talked about it a few times from up here, but this is, a, this is becoming still today more and more a common occurrence in Muslim countries where people who aren't radicalized out there literally trying to attack uh, Christians and Jews and whoever else, but who are sincerely seeking to worship the true God, but the only true God they've ever been introduced to is Allah, they will pray and say, Lord, I want to know who you are really. And do you know who appears to them in a vision or a dream? Jesus Christ. This has happened again and again and thousands of times. And that's enough to get them saved. But they don't know one word of the Bible. But is that an okay place to stay? No. No. It's like there's very little in this world that's more exciting than the birth of a baby. Something wrong if it stays a baby. We've got to grow up. We've got to grow up physically. We've got to grow up in knowledge. So it's, but, again, you can have all this knowledge. You might be able to spell out the plan of salvation. But something, you'll, you'll be missing something in terms of the preparation of the gospel of peace if you really don't know Him. You must know Him, but you can't stop there. I'll share one more story, and then I'll have praise and worship team come up. And this is a story I haven't shared in many years, but I was having a discussion. A friend of mine in high school, a year older than, than I, and, and much, much better at this stuff than I am, or, or certainly than I was, we went over to share with the mother of a friend of ours, and this was a, a Mormon family. And uh, her family was getting concerned that we were trying too hard to convert her. And so... The, the mother invited us over to have a talk. So it was just the three of us, me, a friend of mine, and, and the mother. And she showed us a film that was supposed to be this slam dunk, you watch this half-hour film and you will be a Mormon because 
It just makes the case. And there were like 10 points. And my friend just dismantled it point by point. And he did it as a gentleman. He didn't say, this is stupid, and let me tell you why. He's like, you know, the film said this, but do you understand why that couldn't be true? And every single point she said, you know, you're right. You're right. I grant that point. Until we got all through, ten, uh, through all 10 points. And then he very politely asked her, you know, you've laid out this argument, and I've told you why I can't accept those arguments, and you've pretty much agreed. So my question for you is, why do you still cling to these beliefs? And she said, you're a very intelligent young man, and you've raised some very interesting objections. All I can tell you is I know these things are true because the Spirit has showed them to me. Now, this is something that was obviously enough for her to continue to hold on to it. But, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree that a spirit had showed her some things, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's truth will withstand scrutiny. So on one hand, we can say, see, personal experience, she believes she really had this experience, this encounter with the Spirit. So that's not a good reason to believe in God. It is a good reason to believe. Just because she had a false experience doesn't mean you have had a false experience. Your experience is very real. If you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, if you've had an encounter with the God of the Bible, that is a very real thing, and it's a very important part of our testimony. It's a very important part of our apologia, but it can't be the only thing. If the only thing that is in your arsenal when it comes to sharing the gospel is, I had this amazing experience 20 years ago, not saying don't share that experience, say, and here's what happened as a result. My experience with Jesus Christ drew me to the Word because I wanted to know more and more about Him. And because I was so excited about sharing Him, the only way I could share more of Him was to know Him more. And the only way to know Him more was through the Bible, reading His words in the New Testament. Praise the worship team, come up here. The rest of you go ahead and stand, because I really am done. Except for this. The good news of the gospel is what? That we no longer need to remain in a state of enmity with the creator of the universe. He has become our peace. But we have to accept his terms. This is where it's good to capitulate. Because he is conquered. But there's no compromise. You can't come to him and say, uh, Lord, I want that salvation part, but I don't want that lordship part. He offers salvation on terms of, in terms of lordship. So my question for you today is, do you want to be at peace with God? Do you want to be in a state of war with God or in a state of peace with God? And the peace terms he offers are glorious. He doesn't say, I'm going to free you from these chains and put these chains on you, except chaining us to himself. He's, he's saying, the freedom that I offer you isn't autonomy, it's freedom to do what I created you to do, to live the life that I have planned for you. And what you can believe and what you can trust is the life he has planned for you is way, way incomparably better than anything you would abandon it for. There's, there's no comparison. So I urge you to step onto the path that God has for you, to lay down your arms, 
surrender to God, and then start putting on the armor and joining in the battle for other people's souls. So first of all, do you need to come to Christ today? Do you need to make that decision? Does anybody in here today need to say, today is my day, Pastor Scott, I desire to be born again. I desire to be a new creature and uh, qualified to serve in his kingdom. Anybody today? Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Okay, there's somebody. And praise the Lord. Let's just, let me pray this now. Heavenly Father, if there's anybody in here who does not know you, has never come to know you as Father, has never come to know Jesus as Savior, would you do what only you can do and make yourself known to them, make their need known to them, grant them the humility and the wisdom to make that choice today in Jesus' name. For the rest of us, I think it's a good idea if we occasionally step back again and uh, examine our lives, examine just how well we are pursuing and fulfilling the Great Commission. And let's commit, uh, you know, maybe you came in here barefoot today. There's a time to take off those shoes when you're at home, when you're relaxing. Set a spell. Take your shoes off. Y'all come back now, you hear? But when you're going into battle, when you're going out these doors, you better have your shoes on. I like that. Most businesses still won't allow you in without shoes. So when, when you've got to put your shoes on to go to the store, remember you're walking into a mission field. Pray for and be on the lookout for encounters like Courtney and Emily were talking about. They might have more one-on-one time than stadium time next week, but these one-on-one encounters, one person, the right person, look at how the gathering demoniac transformed his town. One guy gets delivered. And suddenly it's an evangelism explosion. So let's examine our lives and see if we are, uh, let's get our shoes on, let's lace them up, and, uh, and let's commit to being in this thing. Can we do that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the armor. I know we're not through all of this, but we thank you for the pieces you're, uh, you're broadening our understanding on, and we commit to putting this on and entering the battle today. We, we uh, determine to put these shoes on to prepare, to prepare to go via these shoes where you, where you command us to go, And that the news we bring will be the news of the gospel of peace. Remind us daily, Lord, that we're not here just wasting time, that we're not here just to live for ourselves, and we're not here just waiting on you. We've got a job to do. There are people to save, people that need to know who we know. So lead them to us. I lift up that person who raised uh, their hand uh, to give give you their life. And and for anybody who didn't raise their hand and who desires to surrender, Let's just everybody say this. Lord God, I give myself to you. I receive Jesus Christ's work as payment for my sin. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the death. And thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me, delivering me, filling me, and using me. You are now my Father. I am now your child. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, whether you raise your hand or not, please, please, please don't leave without letting me know. All right?
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.